Hi, everyone. Welcome to week two of the Mental Health Coffee Time podcast. My name is Andrew, and we also have Nina on again this week. And we'll be talking this week about clouds. And I think that we wanted to talk about clouds because it's a, it's a good analogy that's often used in mental health to describe our thoughts and how we might be able to view them in a more healthy way as just clouds passing in the sky without necessarily engaging with them or wrestling with them to hopefully reduce some of the anxiety or mental illness that we that we might have in our lives. So hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And I guess I'll start off with a quick question for Nina. Um, I, I read in your blog post that you, you had struggled with a lot of insomnia during your junior year of college. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and, and, and kind of your realization there about your, your racing thoughts? Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Um, so I think as you touched on, uh, thoughts are really like a central tenant in mental illness treatment. Um, just this understanding that your thoughts are separate from who you are. They're kind of like clouds in the sky, but there's, you know, a clear or blue sky underneath that is different from the clouds. Um, so for me, I think the time in which this really came to head was during my junior year of college. Um, as I mentioned in the blog post, um, in addition to a lot of depression and anxiety, that year I struggled with really bad insomnia. So for week after week, um, like it started off one day where I had like a bad night of sleep. Then after that, for week after week, I was really just unable to sleep. Um, I remember as soon as the sun would go down, I would basically enter into a flight or flight mode and um, I would be completely unable to fall asleep. And I would just sit in bed growing more and more anxious, thinking thoughts like, you're never going to be able to function the next day. Like, why can't you fall asleep? You have to get to sleep right now. Like, this is going to be horrible. Just this anxious loop of thoughts constantly running through my mind. Um, I mean, honestly, looking back, it's no wonder that I wasn't able to sleep given how active and how anxious I was and how much weight I was really putting into falling asleep. Um, and then I think for me, like I tried everything for insomnia. I tried, you know, melatonin. I tried sleeping pills. I tried, you know, all these nightly rituals, like hot milk, like, you know, teas, like honestly nothing worked. Like when you're in that state of anxiety, uh, no amount of tiredness or, or sleeping medication is really going to be able to overcome the fact that you um, are so anxious about it. And so it was around this time where I started reading about two forms of therapy. One are what is cognitive behavioral therapy, and then the other one is acceptance and commitment therapy. And essentially, both of those uh, therapies really talk about putting some distance between yourself and the thoughts that are running through your mind and seeing, you know, your thoughts as as just thoughts, like not really seeing them as, as uh, necessarily integral to who you are. And I think that was like a big perspective shift because before, like, I had kind of assumed that I am my thoughts. And so, like, if I was thinking, like, okay... Um, I, you won't be able to function tomorrow because of, you know, your lack of sleep. There was like no space between myself and the, that thought. Like I believed it 100% and completely fully. And then when I started reading about these therapies, I realized that there was like another way of looking at the situation, which was to see this thought as just a thought that might or might not be true. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I can go into this in more detail throughout the podcast, but just at a high level, I think after... I started to realize that I started to gain some more distance between, you know, myself and my sleep anxiety. And I started to be able to just watch these anxious thoughts go by in my mind without getting so caught up in them. 
And eventually, like after after a few more months, it really ended up treating my insomnia um, by really tackling it, um, by accepting the thought and not getting too wrapped up in it. So yeah, I think that was like a, a long answer and maybe <laughs> a little broad, but um, yeah, we can we can we can talk about it more like throughout the podcast. But that's just no. I think it's good to yeah. I think it's good just to get some context context, especially as we're starting off and and kind of a jumping off point. I think it's interesting that like independently you kind of came up with this idea of the insomnia and the, and the clouds because honestly that's something that I've been struggling yeah a lot with recently um like work for me as you know I, I've I've told I've talked Nina's year off about this my work has been really really challenging for me recently mm-hmm. um for a variety of reasons and I just have had like non-stop racing thoughts and it's really difficult when you're in that moment right and what makes it worse is when you're sleep deprived your mm-hmm. body kind of automatically like goes into flight or flight mode because you're so tired. You're kind of running on fumes. Mm-hmm. So you're in this heightened state of arousal and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then if you also have like mental health issues, you, you like your mind is cluttered with all these negative thought patterns, mm-hmm. um, performance-based thought patterns. Like I need to sleep now. Otherwise I won't be able to wake up for my 6am meeting and do a good job then. Um, so it's really challenging. It's really, really challenging, and um, I, 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 it makes me think like how many people suffer with this, right? I, I think that mm-hmm. like especially in our society, we label it as like some people are mentally healthy, some people are not. Obviously, there's so much stigma around um, if some people are considered to not have good mental health, but yeah. I don't know if that's true, right? Like I think that this is something that probably everyone kind of deals with, and people don't, people probably don't talk about it, and maybe that's because they identify with their thoughts so much that they it's hard to even say like oh I'm just having crazy racing annoying intrusive thoughts like they just think that that's reality right so maybe yeah. uh, like as I'm just thinking aloud maybe like the fact that we're even able to say like I'm having intrusive thoughts yeah it's kind of, maybe that's the first step yeah to getting to the clouds right what, what's your thought um yeah I mean I completely agree like I think you know even though this was something that I kind of first was introduced to, um, you know, I guess now it's been about four years. I still struggle with this every day. And I still sometimes have to be reminded um, about this fact that, you know, I am not my thoughts. And like, I think, for instance, on the last podcast, I touched on, you know, my anxiety. And I think I've had a lot of anxiety, especially recently. And so like, for an example, one example of my anxiety is like yesterday, I was going, I went hiking. And when I was going hiking, uh, I came across this, I was just not in a very good mental state. Um, I think I, I typically like meditate very often. And for some reason, I hadn't for the past couple days. Uh, and I was just very anxious. I had a lot of I had a lot of things on my mind. I was very preoccupied. And as I was hiking, I had this thought like I was I was walking and I was just like taking a picture Um uh, to see, you know, to look at the view. And I just had this thought that, you know, I was like maybe 15, 10, 10 feet from the edge. And I just had this anxious thought that I was going to fall off the, fall off the edge of, of the, of the hill. And it literally sent me into like an anxious loop and uh, made me very, very nervous. And it took me, and it took me a while to just realize, okay, you're having an anxious thought right now. Like you're not, not necessarily identifying with the thought of like, okay, you're going to fall off the cliff and just realize like, okay, this is just my anxiety talking and not necessarily 
indicative of who I am. Um, and so I, th- I think, yeah, it is something that everyone struggles with. And to your first, to your, to your question, um, like, do, does everyone struggle with this? And, um, and, uh, or is it, or is it just people who are mentally ill? And I think that everybody struggles with it. I think that a lot of people, if not everybody identifies with their thoughts to some extent, I think it's very natural and very human. Um, what I will say is I think that people who struggle from mental illness, they often struggle from more intrusive or disturbing thoughts. Um, and those kind of necessitate you to gain some distance from them. So like, mm-hmm. I guess an analogy I used um, in my blog was that, you know, thoughts are like clouds and sometimes clouds can actually be very beautiful. Like they can be very pretty and make the sky mm-hmm. a more interesting place. And maybe those are, you know, your positive thoughts or, you know, your cur- curiosity or, uh, you know, your your insights and you know thoughts are not always bad but sometimes when you have those like dark clouds those frightening disorienting like thunderstorm clouds like especially those um those are helpful those are the ones you really need need help to gain gain some distance from so i think um i think it just depends on from person to person like how often do they experience these more troublesome thoughts um and that's going to kind of determine how much they'll really want to seek out you know help for distancing themselves from them that's really interesting. I think it's 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 really great that you drew that distinction between maybe happy and positive thought patterns compared to negative and more sinister thought patterns because I think that's absolutely true, right? Like mm-hmm. if I'm really happy and I'm having a lot of thoughts that are happy, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily something I want that I even want to distance myself from. But I guess as I'm saying that I don't know. I think that getting caught up in your thoughts, or at least for me, when I get caught up in my thoughts, mm-hmm. even if they're good, it it can turn bad kind of quickly. Like if I'm wrestling with my thoughts or dancing with them, it's it's very difficult to disentangle if mm-hmm. and when they become less positive. So that's yeah. been a difficulty for me, right, is to engage in the good ones mm-hmm. and kind of let the bad ones go and find... Uh, find more balance there and be be kind of like able to go in and come out as I please but maybe that's um maybe that's yeah. part of the training right like the the therapy or the CBT mm-hmm. um tries to help with that what kind of um wh- when you do have bad thoughts what what subject matter do they uh what are they about I mean I, yeah I think that has changed a lot uh, depending on the time in my life like I think obviously earlier I talked about my sleep anxieties um and I would say right now it is mostly just anxiety and it can pop up in various forms I think like for instance yesterday was when I was hiking um when I was when I was uh, driving a lot last year it was it was driving I used to have a lot of driving related anxiety um I've had health related anxiety um so it is pretty like this is pretty diverse. A lot, of, a lot of the time, just like Andrew, I'll also have work-related anxiety uh, pretty frequently. And so, yeah, I think the actual subject matter for me is pretty uh, malleable, but I think the anxiety is a constant. And just being aware that I have a tendency towards being more anxious, I think that helps to just kind of gain some clarity from it. Um, going back to like this idea of, of you know seeing your thoughts as clouds, um beyond like noticing your thoughts are there other strategies that you know you employ in order to like challenge the thought or to like 
gain a better perspective on the thought. Uh, I'm thinking about, for instance, like in CBT, how they have CBT journals. I guess we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, you know, I actually started journaling recently. I haven't these past few weeks because I've just been too busy, which is, you know, it's like a, it's a bad cycle, right? Because right now is probably when I should do it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's really interesting. I, I think journaling is something that I picked up and put down several times in the past. And I realized my issue with it was that I was trying to uh, write like good journal entries. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted them to be like thoughtful and interesting and dynamic. And I wanted to be able to come back to them and read them and be like fascinated by my own thought patterns and, and think that it was like an amazing piece of work, um, which just like isn't the point at all. It was like yeah. really, it was like very counterproductive. Um, but recently I, I, I've been more into it and like, just give you an example of how different of an approach I have. Like sometimes when I get bored of writing a thought, I kind of just like go into the next one that's in my head, which I think is good actually. Yeah. It shows me that exactly. like- how much is going on in my head. It makes me take note of it. Um, although I kind of want to go back to something that you were saying Yeah. about, it's interesting that you said that your thoughts have, like your negative thoughts come in a variety of different forms. Mm-hmm. Because kind of what I heard was that they're all health related, right? Like if you talk about, oh, I'm worried I'm going to fall off a cliff, you're worried about dying. If you talk mm-hmm. about driving, you're worried about dying. And if you talk about like a disease, like you're worried about getting a disease of some sort. You're worried about mm-hmm. dying, right? So yeah. it's kind of like, did you ever notice that or is that? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think I have. I mean, I have noticed that. Uh, yeah, that's true. I think that they are, a lot of them are centered around death. Although I don't think it's purely around that. Like, I think another thing is like, I do have a very high level of work related anxiety and work-related stress um so I think it like that's not necessarily linked to like health or dying um and then oftentimes I've also had like social related stress like if I have anxiety around a specific relationship um I'll have anxiety over that so I think I think it just really depends I think you know maybe the fear of death or the fear of dying is something that is a little bit more you know, permanent and also difficult to grapple with um, compared to, you know, a fear of, for instance, like disappointing somebody. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that is that is like a, a good observation. That's interesting. I mean, the reason why I brought it up is that I, I guess when I was thinking about how, like when, when you were asking, how do you best address these thoughts? I think it's so different depending on what types of thoughts it is. And you just said I think you just kind of touched on that, right? Like the thought of disappointing someone is a different thought to address than the thought of dying, right? Like you can't really come at it in the same way. I think, Um, yeah, I think while you cannot come come at it at the same way, I think there are like several, like for instance, cognitive distortions that could be the same for both of those thoughts. Like for instance, uh, so you have a fear of dying and you have a fear of disappointing someone. I think you can still, there's like many cognitive distortions. One could be like uh, only looking at the negative. So if you like submit a bad test report, a bad report, you're immediately going to jump to the conclusion, oh, okay, this person, my, my boss is going to be like very disappointed in me. And like similarly, if you like are, you know, walking up a, like a hike and you kind of trip a little bit, you would be jumping to the conclusion if you would be like, oh, I'm going to like trip and fall. So I think in both of the cases, you're like, 
for instance, catastrophizing. Um, so mm. I think there are some common, like, just like cognitive distortions or, um, yeah, thought patterns that you can see in no matter what the thought is. And how do you step back from that, right? Because it, mm-hmm. in both of those instances, and maybe this is just a reflection of my own anxiety at the moment, right? But when you said, well, like, if, if you send someone a messed up report, yeah, like the the, the catastrophizing is they're going to be disappointed in me. Or like if you trip while you're on a walk, like realistically, if you had tripped next to the edge, like maybe you would have fallen off. So it's mm-hmm. it's not that it's not true, right? I think that's the trouble with these thoughts. Is some they're usually true in some way, yeah, or I think- definitely possible, right? So. Mm-hmm. I think like, I mean, this is, it goes back to, you know, they are true in some way, but I think what, when you're catastrophizing, you're looking at the worst case scenario. So maybe, you know, obviously for instance, if you drive and, you know, you make a mistake, there's like some chance that you're going to be in a car accident, but then jumping to the, to the, you know, the thought that, you know, I'm going to go to a fatal car accident and die. I think that is where the catastrophizing is coming in. Because if you look at the statistics, okay, like how many people, like how of the amount of times you drive, like how many times do people get into car accidents over their entire lifetime and really examine that percentage, um, then you'll you'll realize that, you know, it's such a small percentage relative to um relative to like, you know, your actions on a day-to-day life. And then I think that will help calm you down. And like similarly, um, for instance, you know, if you trip and fall, like how many hikers like how many people walk on this trail every single day and like how many people have died over the course of, you know, the entire trail's existence. I think just looking at that and and putting the thought into the context, like the greater context, like, yes, it's possible, but what is like the true likelihood of it? I think that uh, enables you to like stop catastrophizing. And I think, you know, with the, with the disappointing the other person, I think there's like another cognitive distortion, which is called personalization, um, and so I think personalization is when you take things personally or you, you assume that someone else is going to take, take things personally when it's not necessarily connected to you. And so, um, you know, with the report, I think that's a cognitive distortion right there. Like, yes, could they be disappointed in you? Maybe. But are you also employing, you know, your tendency to to personalize everything? Yes, you're also doing that because, you know, there's also the likelihood the person will see, you know, it's a it's a negative report. Maybe they'll say, OK, like. Um, Nina didn't do a good job this time, but they're not necessarily going to say like, oh, you're a failure and bring it back to you. And so I kind of think that's that's where some of the cognitive distortions come in. That's really interesting. I, I think that's a great that's a great piece to touch on. I think mm-hmm. in a way, the, the catastrophizing, the personalization to me feel kind of related, right? Like yeah. When you were talking about the catastrophization, it's about applying this minuscule probability to yourself. Like, yes, these things do happen, but why would they necessarily happen to you? Like, it's about turning this, like, catastrophe into something that's personal to you. Yeah. Although, I think it, like, something that else that just came to mind about why, for example, at least for me, why I might have those negative thoughts is I've I've had bad experiences with certain people where those things are true, right? Like, maybe you're yeah. in a bad report and it's really not your fault. But then they turn into something about you and say like horrible things to you, or it doesn't even necessarily have have to happen to you personally. Like if you see, yeah, for example, if we work together and I saw someone yell at you for the same thing, 
Like I wouldn't, I would yeah. probably internalize that and it, it could be traumatizing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so that's, that's an interesting piece. I think for me at least has been like, not just the CBT portion of it, but the psycho psychoanalytical part of therapy about analyzing my past and understanding what has happened to me and remembering kind of these first instances where these things have happened yeah. and why it became part of my inner dialogue. Cause I, I really, I, I, I don't think anyone's negative thought patterns come from nowhere. Right. Like it came from an internalization of this external event that happened maybe like once or twice in their past yeah. and it was traumatizing and it just left a very deep emotional impact. So I think for me, um, it, it really is the psychoanalysis that has that has helped me. Like I think I'm a very cause and effect driven person, and so yeah. it's hard for me to just take a step back. It's it's much easier to take a step back for me when I see like, oh, it's coming from this event that happened in the past. Therefore, it's not related to the present. Therefore, I don't like these these thoughts aren't necessarily relevant at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's really good to gain context on that. Like, I think, you know, like, I think a lot of times anxiety comes from, you know, anxiety that you had when you were younger, and you didn't feel like you were in control of a situation. And so, you know, you continue to have anxiety, even when you grow up about a variety of things. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like the psychoanalytical impact uh, is very strong. But uh, I also feel like just being aware of like, the various cognitive distortions helped me a lot. Like for instance, even when you just said like um, how you're taking that probability or like say, say uh, you know, you have disappointed somebody in the past. And uh, so think about like the times that you've disappointed someone. And I think our minds immediately like gravitate towards that. But then think about, you know, the times in which you haven't disappointed someone, the times in which, you know, maybe someone was happy with you or someone was proud of you or someone was at least ambivalent to like the work that you turned in, even when you didn't think that it was your best work. Um, like, I think we often discount the positive or like we, we kind of have a mental filter where we only remember all of the negative and bad things. And then that's just how our minds are, are trained to, to go into. And so I think like just consciously reminding of yourself, like even if there have been difficult times where, you know, people have been treating you badly or like people have been disappointed in you. Just remember, like looking at the entire picture and seeing like, okay, all of these times in which this happened, like, you know, all these negative things happened, but also looking like, okay, what about all the times in which like what I was, you know, fearing didn't happen. And so keeping those and kind of balancing it also helps um, to try to just balance the anxiety. And I think, uh like something else that I, you know, we've talked about in the past is at least like for me, I don't think the goal is to like completely remove all these negative thoughts. Um, it's not to like get rid of them or to like, you know, get rid of all anxiety. But I think it's for me at least it's about just having a more balanced picture of these anxious thoughts and, you know, not necessarily putting them ahead of like the positive thoughts and maybe allowing them to, you know, coexist. So for instance, you know, you have a fear that you're going to fall off the cliff, be like, okay, like maybe there was a small percentage I could fall off the cliff, but what was the likelihood of it? Was it like 1%? Okay. If it's like 1%, like I'm not going to spend my entire day like dwelling on that. I'm going to, you know, maybe make sure that next time I go on a hike, I'm sure it's like wear good hiking shoes and like be very aware of the surroundings. Um, but then after that, I'm going to like, you know, forget about it and, you know, go about my day. So I think for me, it's just about a balance between kind of addressing the root cause of anxiety and like addressing, you know, whatever the anxiety is trying to tell me and not letting it take over my life to the point of being detrimental. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think those are all good perspectives. And I, I mean, I completely agree. I think that it's so good to just get distance from your thoughts. And it's, it's really challenging. I think when you're caught up in it, the problem is for me, honestly, that it feels good. It feels like I'm being productive sometimes when I'm having racing thoughts. I think that's the trap that I fall into that. I think that we've talked about this. I think sometimes you fall into that too. I think a lot of people fall into that trap of just feeling like it's productive to have these racing thoughts. Yeah. And I think it's only really recently that I've re- realized that it's not productive. And I have to constantly remind myself of that, that overthinking things like there are so many uncertain factors when you're when when I'm overthinking things. Right. I feel like, oh, if I think about this enough, I'll get the answer. But mm-hmm. in my like it's it's an unrealistic expectation because I there are so many factors that I don't know that I can't know. Like, I can't predict the future in a way that's reliable mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Even if I had all the data, I wouldn't be able to predict the future in a way that's productive. Um, but especially without the data, it's it helps me just to remember that this is not a useful exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting. I wonder, I, I know you've told me you feel the same way too. Where do you think that feeling came from, of feeling like this is useful? I think that anxiety... Hmm. I think that like it I don't I think that there is use to negative thoughts, but I don't think that there is a use for like excessive, I mean just by the virtue of the word excessive overthinking. And so I think there's a distinction there. Like I think there is value in having fear for instance, like when you're hiking, having a little bit of fear about like okay, I could fall off or even fear when you're driving. I think some of that is, is helpful. What I don't think is helpful is the anxious spiral of thoughts where you're just, you know, in an endless loop of thoughts and you're you know caught up in it and like keep replaying situations again and again in your head and like obsessing over over tiny things um and what really helps for me and I agree with totally what you said like I also think that the latter is is helpful like for instance at least you know that's my automatic reaction so when I'm like say I have a report that I want to submit or like a code like since I'm a software engineer that I want to submit and I'm very anxious about you know if it's going to be in production so like I've spent like hours afterwards like being super anxious about any bugs that it's going to cause and just like having an endless spiral of anxiety about it. And so what for me kind of distinguishes the two into like helpful negative thoughts and anxiety negative thoughts is um actually I do some I do like some journaling about my thoughts. So what I'll do is I'll write down my anxious thought. And then I'll write down like some concrete steps I can do to is essentially address whatever the anxious thought is trying to tell me. So say it's like I'm worried about, you know, this code. So I'll say, okay, like write these test cases, reread the code, have somebody else review it, um, run it in like a dev environment. And I'll write down like very concrete steps that I need to take in order to basically make myself feel safer about whatever I'm the code that I'm trying to submit. And then I'll do those steps. And then after I do those steps, I will, then after that, I will stop. And every time I have like an anxious thought about it again, I'll just remind myself, like, look, I've, you know, done what I can do to the best of my ability. And like, I'm not going to spend more time obsessing over it now. And that's like kind of the same approach I use for, you know, my health related anxieties. So for instance, like hiking, Um, yesterday, like I came home and if you have some anxiety about hiking, I'll like write it down in my journal and I'll write down like specifically, okay, what I want to do next time before I go hiking to make sure like 
I feel safe. Like, okay, wear good hiking shoes, hike with people that you trust, um, make sure, you know, you scope out the place beforehand, um, make sure that you, you know, meditate before so you have like a clear mind, you're not distracted or stressed out. And then now if I have like an anxious thought, like, okay, I'm going to fall off the cliff next time I go hiking, I'll just remind myself, like, look, I've adjusted to the best of my ability and like any more time spent thinking about it now is not going to help. So I think that's kind of where I draw the line between just like addressing the issue and the completely, you know, unhelpful and self-destructive overthinking. That's super interesting. That's very, very interesting. I feel like that's very different from how I address it usually. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about how I usually address it. I think mine is mostly about kind of, ex- I don't know if this is a good thing, but I just kind of accept the consequences, you know? Um, and that doesn't mean that, for example, just to extend the hiking example, like it's not like I would go in there and be reckless and wear impractical shoes and like run around on like the like the the steep courses or like, not have any sort of caution but it's more like you know what I'm just gonna go through this hike normally and frankly if I fall then I fall there's not I mean maybe it's similar actually in the end but the thought is if I fall I fall I did what I could do to be safe and I can't live my life in a way that is absolutely devoid of any danger that's not productive you know like I I, like ice for me I can't just sit at home um you know and and avoid all risk and not go outside because I might get hit by a car and not go on a hike because I might fall off the edge of a cliff or not like, mm-hmm. you know, not do anything that's remotely that, that gives my life joy. And so I don't know, for me, I think a large part of addressing the thoughts is accepting the consequences. Like for yeah. example, in, in the coding example, I'm not, I'm not a coder, but I, like it, it's something I can relate to, right? Like I might turn in a project or submit something where, I'm constantly just thinking about like, what are the mistakes that I made and nothing's ever perfect, especially in my industry. So it's, it's very difficult to, to kind of walk away from it. If, if you have that uh, kind of mentality, which, which I definitely do. And so something that's been helpful to me is just to say, you know what, I'm going to accept that there are going to be mistakes. Um, and that I tried my best and uh, like to the best of my ability, not even necessarily my best, but I gave it a reasonable effort within the bounds of, time and Mm -hmm. uh like not not uh pushing myself to like a physical uh to like a physical or mental health limit or something like that and just saying like you know what after that it's fine like even if someone gets upset with me or whatever like like just accepting that I'm a flawed person and being okay Mm -hmm. with that I think has helped me a lot Mm -hmm. and you know like sorry I shouldn't say flawed like there are just certain you know, everyone has certain attributes. Some people view them as positive or negative. Like people are never really going to view some of my attributes as negative. Um, and, and that's kind of my thought process around that. That's very interesting, actually. Our thoughts, I think, separate into, like, it's, I, I don't know. It seems like our thoughts are quite different. Um, I guess this isn't something that we've really talked about too much before. Yeah. Um, in what way do you think they're different? Like in terms of like what makes us anxious? Yeah, I mean, well, I think the ones that you touched on, you said that you've you've had other thoughts about like school and stuff too, but I feel like mine are usually related to trying to control people's opinion of me in some way. Like, for example, the work-related thing, like I don't want people to think that I'm lazy or stupid or um, like I want to leave a good impression. I think that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from actually is about 
um, mm-hmm. trying to leave a good impression and like being it could be anything right it could be like I want people to think I'm smart or cool or nice even you know like just these like social attributes that um I want people to like 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 almost like if I walked away and gave them a report card like what would they like I want them to give me all A's or something you know yeah um I feel like most of my anxiety at least these days kind of revolves around that and I I don't know yours mm-hmm. sounded like there were more more health oriented um, yeah I think I don't I don't know I guess the coding one is a little bit different but I I, I feel like you didn't talk about speci- you you talked more about like if there's a bug rather than like is someone gonna be upset with me you know that's it's kind of a different yeah I think for the upset with me I think maybe that does come back to like accepting the consequences um I think maybe at this point for people being upset with me or disappointing somebody um I don't really think too much about it I think I I just I don't put too much weight in like other people's opinions of me anymore um with a couple exceptions like I think if it was like a close friend I would but not with like a coworker. Um, or like somebody in a professional context, I'm okay with disappointing them. And it's like not something that's important to me. So I think for me, I look at it as like, you know, if I disappoint people, that's okay. Like, um, as long as, you know, I'm doing my best, if I'm not, you know, acting in a way that's disappointing myself, then I can accept those consequences. So that's kind of how I feel for like the disappointing other people. Um, it's just not something that I worry about. And even if it does come to pass, which it has, um, it's just something that I'm capable of, like, living with. Um, and so for the, for the for instance, with the bug and the software, I think it is a little bit different. So, for instance, I work, uh, like, basically, I, I don't want really to talk too much in detail about, like, the exact work I do, but there could be, like, pretty bad user-facing consequences. So essentially, uh, I think that's, like, important to me to basically make sure that, um, like that my code is is correct and doesn't cause bugs that could harm the user. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think if your job has actual consequences, it's hard not to think about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess it just comes back to the realization that the racing thoughts and negative, like negative spirals aren't, they're just not very productive mm-hmm. or helpful. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's difficult. It's really, really difficult to get there. How do you think that you've been able to get to that place where you're able to take a step away? Like you've mentioned some of the CBT and the training that you've done, but personally for you, what do you think has been the main driver and motivator of being able to to move away from that? Mm, I think that in terms of motivation, I think as I said before, like, I think my insomnia and time my junior year was really pivotal for that. I think the combination of really bad sleeplessness on top of a lot of the depression and anxiety that I already felt that year really uh, brought, like, my emotions to a, to a, a head, and I really had to address them. And so I think that's kind of what started, like, my journey in terms of understanding CBT and understanding negative thought patterns and that's been something that I've been working through. And, like, I think for continued motivation, um, it's just like I kind of noticed that, you know, your thoughts really define your mood. Like, and so if you change your thoughts, you change how you think about things and how you feel about things. 
Um, so that's like the motivation aspect as for like what has helped me. I think for me, um, I would say for me, a lot of CBT things helped along with like meditation. I think, uh, at least for me, I cannot understate the impact that meditation has had um, all my life and I, all my ability to just clear my thoughts. So I think at this, by this point, I've been meditating very regularly for about a year and four months. Um, and I think, yeah, it's had a profound effect in my ability to just like step away from my thoughts and see my mind clearly. This idea of like clear sky, blue sky is very prevalent in meditation. And so just to have that like constant practice of it every single day, I think, you know, that enables me to kind of take it into my normal life. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, how about you? Like what for you, like what are like the main motivators and how have you been able to kind of uh, what has worked the best for you in terms of stepping away from your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the main motivators are probably the same as yours. I think sometimes it takes hitting a rock bottom in order to come back up. Like I said, Mm -hmm. I think I used to, I used to think that the racing thoughts were a good thing. I thought that, you know, like I was just being analytical and thinking of all the possible situations that could happen and being prepared in some way for a, a catastrophe that may happen. And it wasn't even about the statistical likelihood that it, it just never mattered to me. It was more about the fact that like, well, this thing may happen, right? Like it actually could. So I need to be prepared for when it does. And so therefore I need to mm-hmm. do X, Y, Z and have all these different thoughts about that. And like, I, I genuinely thought it was productive. I think I started to realize that it wasn't productive probably my senior year of college. Um, mm-hmm. I was in a really toxic, you know this, but for, for listeners, I was in a very toxic relationship at that time. And I just found myself lost in thought about what this guy thought about me all the time. And I kept like second guessing, like se- second guessing myself and everything that I did. And I would replay the time that we spent together in my head, looking for like quote mistakes that I made that might hit have impacted his view on me in some way or other. Um, And I think I just realized, I mean, it it just wasn't like, I couldn't focus on anything else. It was very detrimental to like (laughs) my, my social life, because like, even among my friends, it was annoying to them that the only thing I could talk about was this guy that I was dating and who like caused me psychological distress. And I, and I couldn't even figure out why I couldn't walk away from it. I just kept trying to like solve the problem and solving the problem for me meant thinking about it a lot and overthinking everything and trying to like think my way um, into a solution. And I just realized it wasn't, it wasn't possible. I think a big thing for me, um, and this is something that I touched on earlier, there's a, I think I talked about this last time too. There's a really great article by Joan Didion called On Self-Respect. And one of the, the the quotes that really sticks with me is about coming home to yourself and finding there's no one there. Um, I think for me, a lot of the overthinking and stuff was because I didn't have kind of this core view of myself and my own self-identity and my own self-worth. And so I was looking forward to other people and like, and because it was so so anxiety inducing, I needed to, I had like a lot of uh, errant thoughts about it and I wanted to kind of like perfect it. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think for me, just being able to come back to myself and say, you know what, like, I'm going to step away from this toxic situation. Like I can express my thoughts, you know, like if I have certain thoughts about something, I'm just going to express them. Like I'll tell him what he did that made me upset or how I'm feeling about a certain situation and then just have it be done, you know? Yeah. 
So I think maybe that's yeah. what it is. I, I, I think after talking that long, I, I came to the realization, maybe it's about being honest and being open for me about certain vulnerabilities and not just letting these things kind of roll around inside of my head and, and fester and become these big problems. Um, and to trust myself more, you know, like if I'm upset about something, if I'm not having a time about whatever, like just accept that and maybe like talk to the person that's causing the stress or change the situation. I think that's a big thing too, yeah. right? Like certain situations can be extremely distressing and it shouldn't be a, like it should, it's not, it shouldn't be a point of shame or guilt or blame if someone's having bad thoughts in a bad situation. Like if you're in an abusive relationship or abusive work environment, how could you not have bad thoughts? You know, how could you not feel bad? Um, so sometimes it's just about yeah. trusting yourself and saying like, okay, this is actually just a bad situation. I'm going to change it. And then the thoughts naturally go away too, right? Sometimes it's not just like in your head. Sometimes really, really there's a problem that you need to solve. Like you said, sometimes they're good thoughts, yeah. right? Like they're just telling you like, hey, we need to get out of here. This is a bad situation and you should listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like is exactly what I was trying to say about like the anxiety, like anxious thoughts, like, you know, in, in, in a healthy way, it has a purpose. Like thinking about I'm going to fall off a cliff when you're hiking, it can make you safer. And so just like, for instance, having an anxious thought about a relationship, it can make you maybe have a conversation with your partner about um you, you know what's not being what what needs aren't being met and how you guys can move forward um so the thought the negative thought or the anxious thought just that one thought in and of itself is not a bad thing especially if you can take those concrete steps to address them and solve the problem or make yourself safer uh but what becomes a problem is like when you instead of taking any of those steps you just sit around in an endless loop of negative thoughts where you fixate on things again and again and I think going back to insomnia, and I think why for me insomnia is such a interesting topic and a pivotal topic for me, because actually unlike, for instance, a relationship or unlike, you know, walking or unlike driving, there isn't anything that you can do to solve insomnia. Actually, the only thing that you can do is to accept it. And so I think that was actually maybe when you asked like the pivotal idea about a thought is I think I was very used to solving thoughts with actions. And so when I had insomnia, I thought, okay, like let's, let's try different things. Like try to, you know, have a better wind down ritual, have a better, like, you know, take some sleeping pills, like, I don't know, have, you know, your food, like change your meal times, all of these different ways to like make yourself fall asleep. But ultimately nothing worked. Um, and what I realized is the only thing that will actually help you sleep is to stop caring about sleeping and to kind of let go from that. And so I think that was what kind of made me shift my focus from, you know, action into changing your thinking. Hmm. Uh, but I agree with you, like in, in a lot of other situations, like not related to insomnia, if you're having a fear, if you're having a problem, there are a lot of concrete things that you can do to solve them. And I think maybe that initial negative thought can be a signal to you saying like, okay, like maybe you need to pay more attention to those things. Um, but then, yeah, the trouble comes is when you, spiral into them and then I think the key thing is like address them to the best of your ability but then after that just kind of stop the overthinking and just let, let the thoughts go by and realize to yourself like look I've already done the best I can to address the situation to yeah. fix the relationship make myself safer and 
you know, go about your life rather than sitting in a in a, a loop of, of negative thinking. So I think that that's a really good distinction that um, that was brought up. I think that what you just said, you know, it, it's such a simple idea, actually. I think a big part mm-hmm. of it is just not caring. Like with the sleep thing, like as soon as you stop caring if you go to sleep or not, it actually helps you. And that's, yeah, that's a that's huge true. realization. Like, for example, yeah. in, even in a relationship, for example, maybe not in the toxic relationship, that was in, I, I'm glad that I left it. But sometimes if you overanalyze something, it makes you act in a strange way. And it's distracting and it takes away from your main goal uh, in doing something. And so yeah. like, it, sometimes it really is as simple as just not caring, I think. Like, it, it's hard, you have to draw the yeah. line between being apathetic and being not like and just not caring in kind of like a good way. It's very hard. Yeah. Like, it's attenuated. It's like the attenuation between like, in, uh, like helpful anxiety, like, okay, like don't fall off this cliff, be careful, that's great. And like this bad spiral, right? There, it's, there's an attenuation too between. Yeah. Like I care. For I, me, I think. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Were you about to say something? No, no, no. Go ahead. I guess for me, I think for certain, some things, it's very easy to stop caring. Like, for instance, someone's opinion of me or, you know, in a relationship, you can always stop caring about, you know, does this person love me? Does this person not love me? I think that's easier. But then in other topics, I think it is hard to stop caring. Like, for instance, if you're worried about, you know, a close friend or family member, it's very hard to just like turn off the caring or worried about yourself. You know, it's it's hard to just like stop caring about those things. And so especially like, for instance, if you're worried about, you know, the safety of somebody that you love or like, um, the health of, of, you know, someone you care about, it's very, you know, you can't necessarily stop caring about them. Maybe you don't want to. And for me, what I try to do is not always like, maybe like stop caring about the things that I don't think are worthy of caring about. So for instance, like someone else's opinion and for the things that I do truly care about, accept that I care about it, but then also accept the fact that there's only so much I can control to, you know, for that situation and kind of accept that. And I think once you accept the fact that you don't have like the full control of the situation and you kind of stop wrestling for that control, then the anxiety kind of will go down because, you know, the anxiety kind of comes from trying to control a situation which is not controllable. And so just accepting that and doing what you can um, while still admitting that you do care, I think that um, it was like a balance for me to strike. I, I think that's a great way to put it. I think it's about, and you can correct me if I'm misinterpreting, but I think in summary, it's about caring about, you can care about a thing or a person, right? Like for example, if you're worried about your parents during coronavirus, that's super valid. But uh, I, I don't know, maybe maybe that's a bad example because that, like, like I, I think you'll still care about the outcome in that situation. But for example, with work, right? Like you can care about your job and care about creating a good product, but at the same time, you can kind of remove how much you care about the outcome and kind of just treat it as a process and let yourself love, uh, you know, what you're doing and uh, like find interest in your work and not be so concerned about like it needs to be perfect or like someone's going to yell at me or something. Yeah, I think you can care while still relinquishing control like for instance with work I could still care about like whether or not I was doing a good job whether or not you know users were had a good experience on the product that you know I'm creating 
And I can care about that and think it's like something valuable. But at the same time, um, just like relinquishing control over the outcome. So realizing that even though I care about it, like I care about, for instance, mental health, but does that mean I can stop people committing suicide? Um, like I can't, you know, not, not for everybody. And like, it does it make it like sad. Uh, does it mean that I stop caring about, you know, people's mental health outcomes? Like, no, I, I obviously still care about it, but I also recognize that it's not something fully in my control. And I think that's, that's kind of the, the, um, the, the balance. And again, what you said, focusing on the process, focusing on what I can control, focusing on, you know, the steps you can take. Um, and for the outcome, maybe you still care about the outcome, but, um, you know, that it's like not always completely up to you what happens. How, how did you come across that idea? Because, you know, in so many ways, I think it's, and kind of, you know, piggybacking off of our conversation last week, in so many ways, I think we're told that life is the opposite, you know, especially in the US, we have what I have come to realize is very toxic mantra of this work ethic idea that if you work hard at something, you'll be great at it and you'll succeed. It's it's the idea behind the American dream, in fact, right? So it's it's not a widespread yeah. thought at all. Like, that's how I felt in school. That's why everything, you know, that's that's what causes all these negative thought patterns, the personalization, right? Like, that's what our society tells us. Like, if you have an issue, it's totally your fault. Um, so, so it yeah. shouldn't be a surprise that we personalize things and make it about us because that's what, yeah. that's what people tell us. So how did you get to a place where you're able to say, and I, I totally agree with you, by the way, I, I think it's a great perspective to say, you know, I care about these things, but at the end of the day, the outcome is not in my control and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's tough. Like, I think, you know, everyone will have, like, you know, situations in which things are not in their control and bad things happen and it's hard to, like, accept. And for me, um, I, I don't know when it actually clicked. Um, maybe it was it was the insomnia again. Like, it was something that you just don't have any control over. And I remember repeating to myself, like, before I would go to sleep, I'd be like, you know, it doesn't matter if you sleep or if you don't sleep. Sleep is not something you can control. Um, It's like out of your hands, out of your control. And that's actually a very big uh, component of acceptance and commitment therapy, which is like a kind of like a a sister therapy to CBT. CBT focuses on changing your thoughts and changing your your views of, of subjects. And I think acceptance and commitment is more about accepting what you cannot control in life and and committing to that kind of new reality. And I think that that also helps um, a lot. And so I think for me, um, yeah, I think it was about reading more about it and also thinking more about it. And um, yeah, I think relinquishing relinquishing your own control over life is something that's really hard. I think a lot of people, even outside Western culture, um, like we, we want to be in control over life. Like we want to feel like we have control over over the things that matter to us. But um, I think just accepting, and it's hard to like accept that you can't control it, but it's something that I've finally like started to come to terms with maybe after a lot of meditation and introspection and reading. Um, but yeah, it's still something that I struggle with for sure. Um, yeah. How about you? I think for me, again, it's something I struggle with a lot <laughs> right now, especially as I'm going through kind of a tough patch, uh, just in my life, I like, 
as I don't know, maybe just as like a brief overview, we can cover this in another in, in another week. I, I feel rather directionless, um, and it's hard. It's it's really really hard to feel that way, because um, I think that's like an ultimate loss of control, right? Like you, don't, I don't know where my life is going. I don't know what I'm going to do, like stuff like that. So it's hard. Um, I think one of the things that has helped me in the past, and this is actually this is kind of a strange answer, but um, it works for me is I, uh, I actually did a minor in physics in college. Um, and I think that one of the really beautiful things I learned through physics is that every, and it's one of the most elemental things about physics. I didn't need a minor in physics to understand this, but I think just being exposed to this idea all the time um, is just the idea that there's always cause and effect um, and that every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? And when you when I apply that to my life, I realize that, in a way, it, it's just the inevitable truth that I am a reaction to something that happened billions of years ago, like something in the way that, like the universe formed, fourteen billion mm-hmm. years ago, and how all those particles were created and then subsequently interacted with each other, culminated in me in this moment. Like I might feel like I have some sort of free will, but I, at least I believe it's kind of an illusion. Um, And then it helps me feel grateful for all the beautiful things that have happened in my life. You know, like given that this is just the result of a random like big bang explosion that happened 14 billion years ago, like I've had some beautiful moments in my life and even the sad things, you know, just the ability to even feel anything to connect with people like it's nothing big, right? It's not like, oh, I got this major success in my life or I had this major achievement. It's more just feeling like, you know, like realize, notice, this is gonna sound really corny, but noticing the beauty in the small things um, and small personal relationships, which I think we all have. Um, and and it, it's helped me feel grateful for those things. So I think that realization has helped me to see that giving up control is not necessarily a sad thing. Um, you mentioned mm-hmm. that it's difficult yeah. for a lot of people. It was certainly difficult for me. But I think it, it also, I, I've also had the realization that it, like, what comes with it is a feeling of just opening up um, in my heart and in my mind to, to the world. And there's peace in that and happiness. There's a lot of beauty there. So I think that's just something yeah. that I try to remember um yeah it's hard that is really really I was just gonna say that's like a really beautiful way of putting it and like I completely agree I think maybe that's even a subject for you know an entirely new podcast but um yeah I think that in some in some ways that it's so beautiful to just relinquish control over your own life because then you realize you know all the good things that have happened to you just feel grateful for them rather than feeling entitled upset and then for the bad things yeah and for the bad things you recognize that you know you never had control over those anyway so um yeah I think maybe a lot of anxiety is about you know learning to like do what you can to control the situations around you um but then beyond that I think just relinquishing that control and and being okay with that so yeah I think that was just a really beautiful way to put it thank you (laughs) Thank you. Well, it's something that I think about all the time and I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, uh, it's hard, right? It's what's standing between me and, uh, 
and like a nihilistic reality where I feel uh, <laughs> totally out of control yeah. and really upset about it. So um, the more beautiful, the better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> needs to yeah. needs to stand up to a lot of uh, a lot of like fire. So yeah, um, yeah. I think this is like like a huge topic that we can like talk about next time. But yeah, I, I completely agree. Like just that idea of feeling like we can't really control that much in life and and seeing the beauty in that I think that's really profound yeah and you know I think that Um, it it takes us full circle to talking about clouds right like exactly at the end of the day you can't control how the clouds are moving in the sky that's obvious exactly all you can do is watch them pass even if there's a storm sometimes it's nice to be out in the rain right there's a certain Mm -hmm. beauty to it um you take shelter if you need it. You know, like sometimes we're all, we're in tough places as our mental health and our mind is filled with thunderstorm clouds and that's okay. You know, it's part of the weather. This happens to us and to everyone. Um, screaming at the clouds and trying to make them go away is not going to help you. It'll only tire you out. And, mm-hmm. you know, like when when you understand the cycle of clouds even, right, you understand the water cycle, like the clouds are necessary to bring life to the earth. Um, you know, it, it's just a necessary part of it all. You you just can't yeah. have blue skies every day. It's it's not going to work out. So exactly. Just be appreciative. Exactly. <laughs> that was such a beautiful way of putting it. Um, <laughs> but I, I completely agree. Like that's, I guess what I was, the takeaway of clouds like you know you don't want to get rid of the clouds in the sky um and you can't control them you can't control necessarily like what form they take or how they look like or if they're beautiful or if they're disturbing and all you can do is kind of like be along for the ride and and see the beauty in in even the bad situations and as well as the good one um so i think that really does bring us full circle well with that maybe end on a high note <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so it's to anyone who has tuned in to our last episode or this one, um, first of all, welcome to the first couple of episodes of our Mental Health Coffee Time podcast. Hopefully these will continue to get better as we move on. <laughs> it's pretty early in the process, so <laughs> yeah. um, we're still learning here. But um, I don't know, at least I'm finding value in, in having these kind of intimate, emotional conversations uh, with Nina every week. And I hope that uh, I hope it's bringing value to someone else as well. At least Nina, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, definitely for yeah, me. Okay. And uh, hopefully it brings value to other people as well. But okay. uh, just happy to share and talk about these things. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in if you did. And uh, we'll, we'll see you on the next. Yeah, see you on the next. Thank you.